want to encourage you, if you would, to be getting in your Bibles and be turning to Jonah chapter 1. If you were with us last week, we began a brand new series called Journeying with Jonah. And we'll pick up our study here today. Jonah chapter 1. All of us face storms in our lives. In fact, it has been observed that all of us are in one of three places today. Either you're in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're preparing to go into a storm. Now, some believe that when they become a Christian, when they trust the Lord Jesus as their own Savior, that they're going to have a, a smooth, easy life. It's going to be smooth sailing from that point onward. But God has not promised us smooth sailing. Now, he has promised us a safe landing at our destination, praise the Lord, but not necessarily a smooth trip. Why do storms come into believers' lives? I mean, you have someone who loves the Lord, someone who has trusted Christ as Savior, someone who is seeking to serve the Lord and honor the Lord. Why do storms come into that person's life? Now, this is not something we often think about because, as O.S. Hawkins observed, in the midst of our storms, we're far more concerned with the, the cure than we are the cause. Well, let's talk about the cause for a few minutes. Why do storms come into our lives to begin with? Well, there are a number of reasons why storms come. Sometimes storms come because we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world. In fact, Matthew 5.45 has these words, For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. We know some things come in our lives because we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world. And sometimes those things, those storms come because of that. Now, sometimes the storms come because the Lord is, is sending tests into our life to test our faith. You look back in the Bible, you think about Abraham being asked to offer up his son Isaac. You think about Job and all the storms that he endured in his life. Sometimes those storms come to test our faith. But here's what James 1, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 say about that. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So we encourage there to take heart, to, to be joyful in knowing these testings come and that God's going to use them in our lives. So sometimes the storms come because we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world. Sometimes our faith is being tested, but then there's another reason storms come. Sometimes storms come in our lives as a way of disciplining us and correcting us. In fact, we know that Hebrews 12, jot down this reference, you can go back and read it for yourself, but I want to read it for you today. Hebrews 12, 6 through 11. You can jot it right there in the margin in the book of Jonah if you want. And I want you to listen to what it says in Hebrews 12, 6 through 11. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof are all partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto our father of spirits and live? 
For they fairly for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, we might be partakers of his holiness. Now listen to verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now, it's out of a heart of love that those types of storms come. It's the kind of storm that Jonah's going to find himself in this morning's passage. And I trust you found Jonah chapter one and you're ready to read. We'll read just a few minutes. But the real issue is when these storms come, how do we deal with them? How do we respond to them? As one pointed out, some people simply fuss. They fuss about the storms, just like the Israelites did when God has them out there. And they're saying, basically, why would you bring us out here into Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you just going to let us die here in the wilderness? And so we fuss about the storms that come in our lives. Sometimes we fear the storms. Uh, Job did that when Job lost his wealth and his health and his family. In Job 325, it says these words, what I feared has come upon me. What I feared has come upon me. Some people fuss, some people fear. And then you know what? Some people flee. They run away from the storms of life or try to. And that's what Jonah does. He seeks to flee. He seeks to run. But what we find out, especially in today's passage, you cannot run forever. Now, let's read Jonah chapter one and see what God has for us here. And we'll begin reading at Jonah one, verse number one. Now, the word of the Lord came into Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, notice verse four. But the Lord... But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man into his God and cast forth the wares that were the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Verse 7. They said every one to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots. We may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? Of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then said they unto him, what shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea was wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord and said, we beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let not let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. Verse 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea 
and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, as a way of review, we said last week that basically God says go and Jonah says no. God called Jonah and commissioned him to go and preach to the Ninevites, to preach against Nineveh. But we learned last time from chapter four that Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to experience the grace of God. He didn't want them to know anything of God's mercy. So he decided to flee from God's will for his life. Rather than obey the Lord and go to to Nineveh, he got on the ship bound for Tarshish. And here we have the prophet on the run, the preacher on the run. He was done with God's will for his life. He decided it'd be better to sin. It'd be better to sin and run from God than to reach the Ninevites. But as the prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said, God never allows his children to sin successfully. Think about that. God never allows his children to sin successfully. Last week, we said that Jonah was called by God. Today, we could say this. He was caught by God. He was caught by God. Now, how far Jonah got on this trip, we don't know. But God was not done with Jonah and God was not done with Nineveh. And at this point in the story, we see that God goes to work in reaching his prophet. Now, aren't you glad? Listen, aren't you glad that God doesn't just let his children go on forever? Aren't you glad that God, he disciplines his children? Parents, you understand this. You discipline your children. Why? Because you love your child. And and because you love your child, sometimes you have to apply the the rod of correction to the seat of understanding. Now, now, there are those who say, oh, I love my child too much. Oh, I love my child. I just could never discipline my child. I just could never, never discipline little Johnny. I couldn't stand to watch him cry. I just love him too much. Listen, beloved, that's not love. That's not love. You say, well, who are you to say that, preacher? I didn't say that. God says that. Proverbs thirteen twenty four. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Now, listen. If you don't make him or her cry a little bit now, you're going to end up crying a whole lot later on. Hear that again. If you don't make them cry a little bit now, you're going to end up crying a lot later. We discipline our children. We correct our children because we love our children. We want them to go in the right way. And so does our heavenly father. And that's why that Hebrews passage I share with you is so important to remember and so important to recognize. So God goes to work here disciplining his prophet, disciplining his runaway preacher. Now, how does he do it? Well, he does several things here. Number one, he sends a storm. He sends a storm. Look at verse number four. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea. So the ship was like to be broken. Now, I want you to understand something. The storm that God sent was not a little ordinary storm. In fact, the word sent out, I'm told there, in the Hebrew is a very graphic word. It means to to throw down or or to fling, that something was threw down or flung. It's the same expression used in 1 Samuel 18, 11, when Saul threw his javelin at David. It's the idea of hurling the wind. It's the idea, as one put it, you're standing at the plate in a baseball game and that pitcher rears back and he hurls that curveball at you. 
God was aiming this storm, this mighty storm toward Jonah. And it was such a mighty storm. The ship was about to be broken. Now, it's obvious here that God was not trying to destroy Jonah. He was trying to get Jonah where Jonah needed to be. And it's interesting as you read this book that everyone in the book obeys except for Jonah. I mean, the fish obeyed God. The wind obeyed God. The worm we'll read about later obeyed God. The gourd obeyed God. All of them obeyed God, but Jonah. And God here is showing his sovereign power over creation, his control over creation. Listen, I love going to the beach and I love looking out upon the mighty ocean. And the next time you go to the ocean, remember this verse, Psalm 95, 5. Here's what Psalm 95, 5 says. The sea is his and he made it and his hands form the dry land. Listen, God sends a storm to reach his man, Jonah. Not only does he send a storm, next we find he sends some sailors. He sends some sailors. Now notice verse 5. It says, the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. Is, notice a little g there. There is idol, his false god. And cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. Now listen, this storm was so bad, it sent these salty seamen to pray. Now that's a bad storm. It's one thing for the passengers to get scared. It's something else for the crew to get scared. I was thinking as I was studying this, the last flight Danielle and I were on, I think we were coming back to the Southern Baptist Convention a couple years ago. It was in Indianapolis, Indiana. And we got on that plane. I think we flew really early flights. I mean, it was one of those things you're tired. We got on that last flight and the captain comes on and says, where is the captain, you know, and he says, this is our favorite flight. He says, this is our last flight. This is our flight home. He says, we're going to fly it like we stole it. Now I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this, this would be good. So we take off. And I mean, he flew it like we stole it. I mean, boom, we go off there and we hit a lot of turbulence in that particular flight. Now, I'll be honest with you, uh, as a passenger, when you get in that turbulence, you know, that it bothers you a little bit. And so I'm there and, it, you know, I'm not feeling the best and and. and it bothers me a little bit. Then I noticed that the stewardess almost fell down the turbulence and so that. And that really bothered me. And, and, and then I noticed that the stewardess, she goes and buckles her own seatbelt and looks very solemn. And that really bothers me. And, and I, I haven't had this happen much, but I'll be honest with you, that was one flight. We had a little bag in the back of the little seat in front of you. I was tempted to grab. I didn't, thank God, but I, I was tempted to grab that. It's one thing for the passengers to get a little uh, scared, something else for the crew. And this storm was so bad that these mariners, these seamen, these experienced sailors, they began to cry out to their false gods. They not only cry out to their false gods, they begin to throw things overboard to try to lighten the ship because the ship is about to be broken up. They didn't know if they were going to make it or not. Now, here's the question. Where is Jonah during all this? Now, is Jonah out there offering words of encouragement? Is Jonah out there saying, listen, guys, I want you to understand there's a God in heaven and you need to understand, you need to believe and you need to trust him. Is he out there helping to throw things overboard? Where is God's man? Where is God's prophet? Where is God's preacher? When the whole thing is shaking and about to go down, where is Jonah? Look at the last part of verse five. It says he was in the sides of the ship. He lay and was fast asleep. In other words, he was snoozing below. He was fast. 
asleep. He was below. He was snoring away. Here these sailors are. They're struggling to keep the ship from breaking up. Here they are. So they can do anything and everything they can to save their lives. And where is Jonah? He is sleeping. Jonah is the only one on board that knows God. He's the only one on board that knows Jehovah. He's the only one that has the true message that they need to hear. And yet, where is he? He is asleep. And I can't help but think of many believers in our world today. All around them, people are struggling to make it. All around them, people are faltering and failing, crying out to their false gods, crying out to find purpose and meaning and significance in their lives. And where are those? Who have the gospel. Where are those men and women. Who have the word of God. Where are the Christians. What are they doing. Sad to say so many are too busy sleeping. To notice those going down. They don't have time to care. They don't have time to share. May God help us. We have the gospel. We have the message of redemption. We know the savior. The world around us is going down and we're to be crying out, repent, turn to God from your sin. But you know what? Did you realize it was Jonah's sin that caused the storm in the first place? You see, here's God's man, Jonah. And instead of being a blessing, he's actually a burden to these people that know not God. Listen. We don't know how many other little ships were out that night. And they were suffering and crying out to their false gods as well. We may think that our sin harms no one but ourselves. But beloved, if you really believe that, go back and read the story of Achan in Joshua chapter 7 sometime. And it shows you clearly what one man's sin can do, not only to his own family, but even to a nation of people. Like throwing a pebble in a pond and you watch those ripples flow from it. That's what our sin does. Our sin impacts more than just ourselves. Now, listen, Jonah's sleeping here. He's running from God. He's in sin. But he's about to get a rude awakening. Verse number six says the shipmaster, the captain came to him and said, what meanest thou, O sleeper, arise and call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. How sad that it took an idol worshiping sailor to encourage God's prophet to pray. It goes on to say they cast lots. They figured that something's going on here. And the lot fell on Jonah. And they began to question Jonah. And it's a series of questions. And I can only imagine what Jonah must have felt like. Look at verses 7 and 8. Uh, look there, especially at verse number 8. Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? And what people art thou? In other words, Jonah's called on the carpet. Be sure your sin will find you out. He's called on the carpet. Here are these idol worshiping sailors saying to God's man, who are you? Where are you? What are you? What are you supposed to be doing? And we find that Jonah answers them in verse number nine. Says, I'm in Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Which have made the sea and the dry land. Now I want you to catch this, beloved. Jonah's theology was right. 
But his behavior was wrong. Jonah was right. He was a Hebrew. He was right. He served the Lord God Jehovah. At least he had to this point. He's right. This is the Lord who made the sea and the heavens and all that you see. His theology was right, but his behavior was not. It's not enough just to know the truth. We're to live out the truth. It's not enough just to know the Bible. We're to live out what the Bible teaches. And Jonah says there, I fear the Lord. But verse number 10 is very interesting. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? Here these heathen sailors look at God's man. They say, Why did you do this? He told them, it says there in that verse, he had fled from the presence of the Lord. They said, Why did you do this? Can you not see the mercy of God? Can you not see the love and the grace of God? This is amazing. God is using the storm and these idol worshiping sailors to do a work in Jonah's life. A.W. Tozer was right when he said, when reproved, pay no attention to the source. When reproved, pay no attention to the source. He said, do not ask whether it is a friend or enemy that reproves you. An enemy is often greater value to you than a friend because he's not influenced with sympathy. Keep your heart open to the correction of the Lord and be ready to receive his chastisement, regardless of who holds the whip. He said the great saints all learn to take a licking gracefully. And that may be the reason why they were great saints. So that's wise counsel, but that's difficult counsel. Very few, if any of us, welcome chastisement, welcome reproof. We don't want to be told that we're not doing right. We don't want to be told that we're not right. And yet God speaks through these heathen sailors and says, why hast thou done this? Now, ultimately, they get down to the point where they ask him a very important question in verse number 12. Verse number 11, they say, what shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea rolled and was tempestuous. They said, what can we do? How can we resolve this? I mean, things are horrible. What should we do? And in verse 12, he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. Now. Was this repentance on Jonah's part? Some believe this is repentance. He's come to his senses. I don't believe it was repentance. I believe this is Jonah resolving in his heart. This is what it's come to. I believe that what Jonah is saying here is this is what it's come to. Just throw me overboard. I'm done. In other words, it's better to die than to go to Nineveh. It's better to die than to do God's will. Because we understand later he's still mad. He's still sulking. He's still there pouting. He resolved in his heart. But here's what's interesting. These sailors have more compassion than Jonah did. Why? Now, they didn't pick it up right away and say, Whoop, there you go. Look what happens in verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard. It means they dug down deep to bring it to land. They tried in all their might, all their power to get through that storm to get him to land. But it says they could not. For the sea was rawed and was tempestuous against them. So they turned to prayer again. Now, the last time these men prayed, they prayed to their false gods. 
This time their prayer is directed to Jehovah God. And notice what they pray. Verse 14. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. Some believe that these men, if you keep reading there, it says after they threw him overboard, verse 16, they feared the Lord exceedingly, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Some believe that these men, these sailors, were actually converted. They actually turned from their false gods to the true God. I don't know, but I hope so. I hope they did. But if they were, sad to say, Jonah wasn't around to see it. He wasn't around to see him because they says they sacrifice and they offer these vows after the sea ceased from raging. After things had calmed down, they feared the Lord and offer sacrifices and vows. But Jonah wasn't around to see it. Why? Because Jonah's down in the sea. He's probably thrashing around the water, realizing this is it. Death is coming. But listen, Jonah, God's not finished with you. Because God not only sends the storm, he not only sends some sailors, but thirdly, God, he sends a fish. Verse 17 says, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, we're not this morning going to spend a great deal of time talking about the fish we're going to wait till next week and God willing, we'll see what it's like to stay over at the whale motel uh, next time. But suffice it to say that while Jonah was running from God, God was running to Jonah. And he used some very unusual things to accomplish his purposes. One of the most unusual is this fish that he sends, but he's not done with Jonah. Now, let me ask you today, what about you? Are you running from God today? Perhaps you're a sinner. You've heard the gospel. You know the gospel. You know the Bible declares that all have sinned. All have fallen short of God's glory. You know there's no salvation in anyone except for the Lord Jesus. You understand that Jesus died and shed His blood and arose again. He lived a sinless, perfect life. You understand the the cross. You understand what that's all about. But you are running from God. I remember my own life as a young man knowing I was lost. Knowing I didn't know Christ. Knowing that if I died, I'd go to hell. I remember fighting that conviction in my life. And maybe that's you this morning. And you're running from God. And God the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and seeking to bring you to Christ. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. And you're hardening your heart and running from Him. Listen, beloved. Quit running. Turn from your sin to the Lord. Call out to Him and He will save you. Quit running. Now, Christian, how about you? Are the storms swelling around you? Are the times hard right now? Have you stopped and prayerfully considered the cause of the storm? Is it because you live in a fallen, sin-cursed world that this storm has come upon you? Is God testing your faith? Or is He seeking to get your attention in discipline and correction? Are you running away from God's will? Maybe God has placed a call upon your life. 
maybe a call to missions, maybe a call to ministry, maybe a call to teach a Sunday school class or a call to speak to a neighbor about Christ. Are you running from God's will? I'm here to tell you today that he loves you and he desires the very best for you and he's not done with you. And if those storms are in your life because of discipline and correction, God is doing that out of a heart of love. And I say to you today, quit running, turn and run back toward the Lord, run into his open arms and he will receive you. Now, if this storm is a test. Will you trust him in that test, though you may not be able to understand it? Will you say, I trust you, father? Can you say a joke, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. You see, if it's a test or if it's part of life here upon this earth, will you trust him? But if it's because you're running from his will in sin, will you repent? We're reminded that he is Lord over the storms. And as I read this this past week, I could not help but think about another storm. Go to Mark chapter four. We're almost done. Mark chapter four records another storm. Mark chapter four. We know that all storms do not come because of disobedience, as we pointed out several times. Sometimes right in the center of God's will, the storm comes. A testing of our faith. Mark chapter four, beginning and reading at verse thirty five. Mark four thirty five. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, that's Jesus speaking. Let us pass over into the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Where was Jesus at? Verse 38 says he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him. And say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Just stop for a moment. Don't close it up. But think about that. They're asking the Lord Jesus Christ, don't you care that we're about to perish? I mean, here's the one that came to save them from their sin. The one that left the splendor of glory in heaven to come and live as a man among men. And they say, Master, don't you care that we perish? Don't you care we're about to go down? Verse 39 says, and he arose. And rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Beloved, I want you to remember this today. He is Lord over the wind, the sea and the storms. He is Lord. 
And you never have to fear when you place your faith, your trust in him. For whatever reason that storm is in your life, whether it be because you live in a sin-cursed world, whether it be a test of your faith, or whether it be you're running from his will, whatever the case, run to him. Run to him. Quit running away and run to him. He is Lord over the storms of life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We honor and worship you. Thank you for the book of Jonah. Thank you for the message. Help us as believers, those who know Christ, to wake up to the world drowning around us. Help us to stand up and speak up and preach the gospel of Christ. I pray in this service, if someone here does not know Christ, that in a moment they'll walk the aisle and come and join with someone as they share with them the gospel. And they trust Christ. Father, I pray for Christians today who may be going through some storms in their life. I pray today they'll come and cast their cares upon you. If some are running from your will and sin, I pray today they'll come in repentance, turning from their sin to you. Take charge of this invitation, I pray in the Savior's name. Amen.